This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. As we come before him to seek his face and seek his desire in our lives, the question really needs to know, where is your allegiance? Where is your allegiance? Are you a slave to the old lifestyle and yet you're new in Christ? Are you yelling from the rooftops that I can live any way that I want to because I'm covered by the grace of God and thus dishonoring the very Lord that bought you? As Pastor David continues to teach us through Romans, he will teach us that the wages of sin is death. This is a spiritual death, a death of a harmonious fellowship with our Father. As a believer, we're covered by the grace of God. We are His children But if we walk in deliberate sin, the fellowship becomes distant. The closeness and the sweetness of the Holy Spirit in your life is distant as well. We as believers can experience the power of God in that closeness of communion. So why choose sin? Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 22, for our continuing study entitled, The Practice of Sanctification. Paul says that when you're a slave to sin, the choices of your life are already made for you. He says free to righteousness, or free in regard to righteousness. That's because I didn't know righteousness. I was not bound to to work and to do righteousness. When I'm talking with a non-believer, you know what? I don't expect them to live like a believer. I don't go to a non-believer and say, you know what? You need to clean your act up. You need to start making the right choices in life. You need to start living godly. Why? Because they can't. Outside of Christ, they cannot. Why? Because they have a different master. What they need to do is come to Christ. You can't say, well, I'm going to try and get my life better. I'm going to try and build my life up in order that I might be able to come to Christ. You will never arrive. You'll never arrive. It's only when you come just as you are to the cross of Christ that He then works in you by the power of His Holy Spirit bringing new ownership into your life and new direction into your life. We were slaves to sin. There was no other way around it. There was no choice that we could make when we were a slave to sin. Every direction and choice of our life was not for the kingdom of God. What is a slave? In Rome, there were so many slaves, as a matter of fact, they outnumbered the freemen. And there was a decision, and we had spoken about this at the introduction to the book of Romans, there was a decision that was made early on in Rome that they said, well, what we need to do is have all the slaves dress differently so that we who are free might be able to see who the slaves are at any point in time. And then someone with a little bit more smarts came up and said, no, we can't do that. Because there's so many of them, if they realized how many of them they were compared to us freemen, they would overrun us, they would revolt. Rome knew what slaves were, and for the most part, he was one who was born into that condition of slavery. One whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. One who is bound to the master with bonds that only death can break, and one who serves his master to the disregard of his own interest. Phrases and words that were never found on a slave's lip was, I want 
this. My plan is this. Why I think I will do this. Because their will, their direction, their future, everything was at the whim of their master. And you and I, when we become slaves to righteousness, when we surrender ourselves to Christ, that needs to be the attitude of our heart also. Paul the Apostle himself declares, I'm a bondservant to Jesus Christ. We need to have that attitude even that Jesus had to his Father. He says, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 21 here. Paul says, what fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. Well, the fruit of the unbeliever is fruits of unrighteousness, fruits of rebellion, and fruits of sin. None of those things attractive. None of those things desirable. Can you imagine if someone who said that they loved you, decided they would send one of those really nice little fruit baskets to you. You've seen them. Perhaps you've received them. Can you imagine receiving one from someone who says that they love you, and you go to open it up, and suddenly, wow, the smell just overwhelms you. Because the bananas are are black, the oranges are green, the strawberries are fuzzy and, uh, you know, all this real putrid stuff. And some of them is like oozing out the juices on them because they're so rank and so spoiled. Beloved, that's the fruit of our unrighteousness. That's the fruit of our sin. Even when we were non-believers, if we would have said, oh, but I'm a nice person and I've done good things, surely my fruit isn't that bad. Surely my fruit of my life as a good person, as a doer of good deeds, God would accept. Beloved, our word tells us that our righteousness, our good deeds outside of Christ are like filthy rags, like filthy rags. And I could explain to you what those filthy rags are, but I'm not going to take that opportunity this morning, just understand that it is the grossest of grossness that you could imagine to come and lay before someone and say, here, this is mine to you. It would be as if you sent a basket of rotten, putrid fruit to the Lord and said, here, here's my righteousness. Won't you receive my gift? How would you feel if you received one of those gifts, rotten, spoiled, and diseased fruit? Verse 22, though, he says, But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. So, what is the fruit of holiness? Well, it's a much better looking basket, I can guarantee you that. But the fruit of holiness is outside actions that are motivated by a heart in love with and controlled by Jesus Christ as Lord. You need to understand what that's saying. It's, it's outward actions, but yes, much more than that. It's outward actions that are motivated by a heart that's in love with and controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you say, because you see, we can do a lot of outward actions, but with the wrong motivation. 
And Paul speaks about that in Corinthians. He says, every man's work is going to be judged, whether it be gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And that that's wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burnt up. That's the good actions. That's the outward actions, but with the wrong motivation. They're being motivated because of the applause of men, because of trying to appease someone else. And that kind of good work, God looks at that and says, that's, that's absolutely worthless. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you this morning, I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher, an usher, a greeter, a, a, a board member, a staff, whatever you might be, if the outward actions of your life and your decision to serve and to work in the church of Jesus Christ, if the outward actions are not motivated because of the greatness of your love and your passion for Christ, then I want you to just stop. Just quit your position and get the first things first. I don't care where you're serving, what you're doing, because if your outward actions are not motivated by the power of your love for Christ, beloved, they are worthless. And worse than that, it's part of that danger of grace. You think that you're doing something good, but God is not pleased. Man, it's the broken and this contrite heart that God desires. He desires worship and obedience much more than he desires sacrifice. And until we, as the church, come to really understand that, we can continue to spin our wheels trying to do things for God. When God says, no, just love me. And the outflow of that love will be a life of obedience. Don't get the cart before the horse. Understand, it's love working in our life, motivating us then to the outside works. Verse 23, he ends up this chapter with the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I understand and I know and I've used it myself that this verse many times is used in sharing the gospel with a non-believer and speaking to them about that their works lead to death, but God gives them the gift of eternal life. But Paul is talking to believers here. And so he said, well, the wages of sin being death, well, you need to remember Adam. Remember the lie that was told in the garden? When the serpent came to Eve and says, oh, surely you'll not die by your disobedience. If the wages of sin is death, and you're saying, oh, no, that's not true. I'll tell you to ask Adam. What happened with Adam? The death that he had was the break of that fellowship that he had with God, the one who would walk with him in the cool of the evening, the one that he would converse with face to face, and because of his disobedience, because of his sin, that fellowship was broken. Was Adam still the son of God? Yes. Did God still have a relationship with Adam? Yes. But was it the same? No. It would never be the same again. Is the wages of sin, even for a believer, death? Yes. Death of that fellowship that we have. 
Oh, he's still my father. And as a believer, I'm still covered under the grace of God. But I need to understand that if I'm walking in sin, the fellowship is dead. The closeness is dead. The sweetness of knowing the power of him working in my life, the flow of the Holy Spirit, it's as if I were dead. And he says, oh, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. Well, what does that mean? Again, pie in the sky, by and by, that eventually after I live my uh, 80, 90, 100 years, uh, then, then I'm going to be able to gain eternal life. No, beloved, that's right now. You and I as a believer right now need to understand that when we receive the gift of God, we receive eternal life right now. And it begins working in us right now. Right now we can experience the fellowship and the relationship of God in our life. Right now we can experience the power of God in our life. Right now we can experience that closeness of God. So that when death does come, it's just moving from this room into the next. It's just walking from this place on to the next. It's just like, again, the story of Enoch, where Enoch walked with God. And then he was not, because God took him. And I believe that they just kept walking until one day they were closer to God's house than Enoch's house. And God says, well, come on home with me tonight. And that's where they went. That kind of relationship. Is that the kind of relationship that you have with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has given the abundance of His grace toward us. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He's broken the chains of bondage of sin in our lives in order that we might have the sweetness of that relationship. The whole thing can be summed up in the question that's been asked. Whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Are you a slave to sin? Or are you a slave to righteousness? And the whole thing, Paul is basically speaking about allegiance. To, to whom do you swear allegiance in your life? That I've given my life to, and I will align my life. I will follow after. I swear allegiance to I'll be obedient to. The work of grace is a matter of the heart, and the question is, is where is your heart? There's one more warning that you need to hear, and that's that grace is liberating. Liberating. You say, well, that's a warning. No, that sounds like a, a great thing. Well, the fact of the warning of is, is that now it calls for you to make the decisions in your life. Because even though we are a slave to righteousness, even though now we are bought with a price, we have new ownership in our life. God doesn't come and form us and fashion us and pull all the strings to make us as puppets to walk whatever way that he wants us to walk. He still lays before us that choice, to the right or to the left, to follow me or to walk in disobedience. And again, beloved, that comes to that allegiance. I want to close with the story of a man and his allegiance. He was born in 1741, and he died about six, well, he died 60 years later in 1801. He was the second of six children that grew up in Norwich, Connecticut. And he entered into early manhood at the same time that our nation was coming mature. And 
the battle, if you know anything about that time of the mid-1700s, the battle that we were striving for our independence. As early as age 14, he ran away from home to join the militia to fight against the French to the north. In the midst of this, all of this battle, and yet when they found out how young he was, they sent him back home and said, you've got to get permission from your mama. And mama said no, he couldn't. And so he stayed at home for a while and then tried to run away to join militia again and still had to come back until finally at about the ripe old age of 21, he took on his father's business, an apothecary, a pharmacist. And as he established himself as a, as a successful businessman, there in New Haven, Connecticut, the business continued to grow, but the war in the country continued to grow also. Finally, he got his sister to come over and take over his business so that he could then join the Connecticut militia. In March of 1775, he was commissioned as a captain with the Connecticut militia. And pretty soon he began to rise up in rank among his peers. He distinguished himself early on in his career through all kinds of acts of cunning and, and bravery. He was, a, he was a great soldier. It was really apparent where his allegiance was. His allegiance was for the country and for, all, for the freedom that the country was desiring to have. Through all of these actions that he had, some of his successes included the Battle of Fort Ticonderoga in 1775. It included defensive and delaying tactics, even though the, this particular battle was lost, the Battle of Valcour Island on Lake Champlain. He won the Battle of Ridgefield, Connecticut, and after that he was promoted to Major General. In the pivotal battle of the Battle of Saratoga in 1777, he was among four generals there, and that's where he received a wound that pretty well effectively ended his combat career for a number of years. It was after that time that he began to petition George Washington in order to get the command of West Point. And he was received the command at West Point, and uh, now at the age of 39, man, he had everything going. He had a position of respect. He was coming from a distinguished family. He was following an honorable military career. One would have thought that his future was going to be bright and clear before him. But the problem was, is all of his life, he had all these little personal heartaches. He had all kinds of military jealousies because even though he was rising up in rank quickly, there were his peers that were given certain positions that he desired and that he didn't get. And so these jealousies began to grow in his life and frustration with the choices of those who were in command above him started overwhelming his life. Until soon, this highly decorated hero, a fellow by the name of Major General Benedict Arnold V, determined that he was going to devise a plan to turn West Point over to the British Army. And with that, he pretty well cemented his place in American history. It's interesting in all of those years, all of those victories, and yet because of the failures in his own personal battles, he found himself selling himself and his country out to the enemy.
In Saratoga, there's a monument there for the leaders of that battle because it was such a decisive battle. On that monument, there's four sides to it, and on three of the sides, it speaks of the great generals that were there. On the fourth side, it speaks of a major general who fought this battle, brave and cunning, very decisive in his actions, born 1741. That was the end of it. They didn't even mention his name. The end of his life was without honor. And his name lives on through the centuries with that big brand of traitor. And you see, the enemy came to him and said, General Arnold, if you'll turn West Point over to us, not only will we give you this huge bonus, this financial windfall for you, but then we'll have a place for you in England and we'll set you up with a yearly salary that will more than take care of you and your family for the rest of your years. You want to hear something surprising? He didn't get the bonus. You want to know something more surprising? He didn't get the high dollar salary when he went over to England. As a matter of fact, once he moved over to England, most of the English people shunned him also. After all, he was a traitor. And the rest of his days, the next 20 years of his life, was spent in battling different lawsuits against him personally from different businesses that he tried to start over in England and failure after failure after failure. He listened to the wooing of the enemy, allowed himself to follow what the enemy was saying, and thus everything that we know good about Benedict Arnold, no one remembers. The one thing we remember was he was a traitor. Even in his death, the burial marker, the cemetery where he was buried, was very small. Benedict Arnold, born 1741, died 1801. For a major general, for someone with that many victories and that much, again, uh, glory behind him. And yet such a small little memorial. But it didn't end there. The church was moved, and in the process, they exhumed all the bodies from the graves there in the cemetery and took all of those bodies and just buried them in a mass grave, unmarked. Bad to worse to worse. Why? Because though his allegiance began with his country, in the midst of his frustration, jealousies, and anger, he started listening to the enemy. And the very promises of the enemy brought absolute destruction on he and his life, his family. Beloved, for you and I today, as we live our lives before the Lord, as we come before him to seek his face and seek his desire in our lives, the question really needs to know is where is your allegiance? Where is your allegiance? Are you a slave to the old lifestyle and yet you're new in Christ? Are you yelling from the rooftops that I can live any way that I want to because I'm covered by the grace of God and thus dishonoring the very Lord that bought you and thus dragging in the muck and the mire the very name of Jesus? Be a slave to righteousness. Be yoked to Christ. 
Gain your strength because you draw closer and closer and closer to Him. Don't simply just walk out of here and say, okay, I'm determined I'm going to start doing the right things. No, determine in your heart and life I'm going to draw closer to Him. I'm going to draw closer to Him because in the drawing closer to Him, He'll give you the strength to do the other things. And He'll work and move in your life. But as long as you stay distanced, as long as you stay unyoked from Him, you'll not have the strength, you'll not have the direction, you'll not have the power to walk fruits of righteousness. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.